Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everyone. Welcome in to our new Penn State football podcast, The Blue-White Breakdown. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle. We've been teasing this for a couple of weeks. Uh, before we get into a little, Greg, we're almost at the start of Penn State season. We're going to talk about, take a closer look at the Lions' offense, defense, and special teams during this podcast. But let's talk a little bit about the idea behind this, what fans can expect, uh, David Jones is going to be a big part of this podcast. It will be, I believe, three times a week once the season begins. Greg, why don't you take it from here? It's good to see you. I don't know if I can hear Lola the Golden Retriever in the background, but I hope she's doing well. Yes, Bob. Lola's been moved elsewhere for this particular podcast. We'll introduce her in future weeks. But yeah, so... As we uh, got ready for the season here at Penn Live, we figured what more can we do to give Penn State fans even more access during this crazy, unique season. And uh, more podcasts was the way it went. So you, you nailed it. We'll do a Tuesday one, me and you, about everything we know about the last game and then looking into the new week ahead. James Franklin talks on Tuesday as well, so we'll recap him. On Thursday, I believe it'll be you and Dave giving some insight on the weekend ahead. Yep. So that'll be Thursday, and then post game we'll have a, a podcast then as well, recapping the latest Lions game after each of the eight regular season games, plus that number nine uh, matchup with the Big Ten West team to be determined in mid December. So we hope you like it. We rebranded it. We uh, made more uh, episodes for you guys just based on some of the feedback we got, and we're excited to get started. So why don't we kick this one off, Bob, with a positional breakdown, a kind of season preview because. By the time Penn State fans hear this, Bob, it's going to be almost a week until game day. It feels weird to say that, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. Before we get to James Franklin and Kirk Shiraka's offense, in case – I'm sure fans know this already, but there might be some a little late to the party. We recently learned Penn State and Indiana are going to play at 3.30 on, set, on the 24th on Fox Sports 1. It was either probably going to be 3.30 or an earlier – I didn't think it was ever going to be Friday, Greg. I didn't think it was going to be – uh, Saturday night, I believe Michigan and Minnesota are the night game, I think, that first weekend. I think it's a great opener, Greg, for, uh, for Penn State, especially uh, it's a good way to start the season, get them ready because they're going to host Ohio State the, the following week. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with, uh, you know, we've had a chance to talk quite a bit, Greg, with James Franklin and Kirk Shiraka, his offensive assistants, and some Penn State players recently. And since the kind of the, the pandemic began, Penn State's been real encouraging with uh with our coverage uh they've made the players available so we've gotten a chance to talk to players coaches James I'll just say this to you Greg when we talk about the offense having seen college football the last couple of weeks it does seem like the offense has been ahead of the defense coming out of the gate James Franklin's got a new offense with Kirk Shiraka do you think that this will probably carry over into the Big Ten season or do you think every game every conference and every teaching style is going to be different. Yeah, I think it will, Bob. Tom Allen, the Indiana coach, had a really good quote earlier this week uh, 
when he had said that, you know, we're seeing tackling problems on Saturday. We're seeing them on Sunday. He said that IU's tackling regressed pretty big from their first scrimmage to their second. And there were a lot of fundamental problems on defense. I do think that we'll see offenses really try and take advantage of the fact that these defenders have not had a chance to hit guys a lot. They have not had a chance to really complete the tackle. I know there's a lot of thud. There's a lot of wrap guys up and then let them go. So that's created some problems for a number of teams across college football and even the NFL. So I would expect Penn State and Kirk Shiraka to want to really take advantage of that as well early on in this 2020 college football season. And, you know, the biggest question I think with the offense is that we've heard so much, so many things that sound encouraging, Bob, and we've heard so many, uh, you know, comments from receivers and linemen and things like that. They like the new coaches. They think Kirk Shiraka's offense is going to be good. But keep in mind, no one besides those inside the program have seen this team work since the Cotton Bowl. So you really, in most years, I think if you went back and listened to different things we've discussed and read things from previous preseasons that we've always talked about, you got to see some things to believe it. And that may have been offensive line improvement. It may have been a receiver stepping forward or what have you. And I'll tell you what, you got to have to see this whole offense in action before you can really believe that a lot of the encouraging things that have both been said by the players and team and that's on paper are going to turn into reality. So I think that's the biggest question mark at this point. It's just how long does that take to happen? Yeah, let's start with Sean Clifford, uh, returning starter at quarterback, redshirt junior. When we last saw Sean uh, on the field, Greg, he wasn't quite himself uh, down the stretch. He was hurt. I think he had a groin injury. They never really said what it was. And I think he was a little bit dinged up going into the Ohio State game. He had to leave that game. Didn't play against Rutgers. Returned in the bowl game against Memphis. But, you know, they won that game really running the ball. He didn't have to do too much. Two things, Greg. Your thoughts on maybe what Kirk Shiraka can do for Sean Clifford. And what's the one thing maybe in terms of area of improvement you would like to see from Sean uh, this year so he can kind of take the next step? Yeah, I think we've heard Sean Clifford, James Franklin, and Kirk Soraka all talk about footwork and that better footwork leading to improved accuracy. And I do think that there is a caveat from last season. He was so banged up there, especially in the second half of the year, that I think he kind of lost touch with a lot of the things that Ricky Ronnie had taught him, not really through any fault of his own, but just the fact that there was a lot of times he was on the move when he wasn't supposed to be on the move. There were a lot of times when guys around him didn't do their job and that left him in a vulnerable place. So I think if they work better collectively as a unit, it's going to lead to improvements for Sean Clifford pretty much by default. So I think that's one thing to watch. But to me, it's just the accuracy. You know, there were times when he had guys open in big games and just didn't hit them, overthrew them, underthrew them. Whether health was a part of the or the biggest part of that, who knows? We'll never know. But I think that is something we've heard all three of those guys talk about. And then, you know, kind of just moving the ball forward a little bit to the receiver group. I mean, he's going to need more help from those guys, too. I mean, there were times when K.J. Handler was able to hide some things that either his quarterback wasn't doing great or that other guys weren't doing great. And that obviously, options no longer there. And they have some pretty exciting guys, Bob, to build with, starting with Jahan Dotson and then some others. But um, there's some work to do there. There's no doubt. Yeah, just to circle back real quick to Sean, one thing I would like to see Sean do, and I think he probably knows this, um, he's such an emotional player, Greg, and he's a fiery player. He made plays with his legs. Tough kid, and he got a lot bigger. Just managing his emotions early in games a little bit better, a little bit calmer, I think that will also go a long way towards maybe helping him start 
uh, a little bit faster. I thought there were some games maybe he was too fired up early at the start and it maybe cost Penn State a couple of possessions early in games. You really can't do that with the schedule that they're playing. You know, there aren't going to be very many, many easy games, Greg. Uh, I would like to see him maybe take a little bit of a step forward, a little bit more maturity this year. Um, I do appreciate the way he plays the game. He plays a very fiery style, but just there's, I think there's a fine line you can walk there between almost too fired up and then, you know, really into it and leaving your teammates. Let's see how he looks early in the season. You said the receivers, Greg, no John Dunmore. He's left the program. I think a guy that I was excited to see play this year, you mentioned Jahan Dotson. He's going to have to be the number one. Really to me, Daniel George is a key player uh, on the offense this year. He certainly has the talent. Looks like he's dropped a little weight from last year. He's a big receiver. Kenny makes some contested catches outside. Uh, and TJ Jones is another guy, I think, to watch in the wideout room. I'm hesitant to call on the true freshmen. I don't know that it's fair to them because they really haven't had a spring, and I think they're still getting their feet wet. I know Penn State's got some talented freshmen, but those three guys, Greg, I think, uh, really are probably going to play a lot of snaps if they're healthy, and they're going to have to make some plays, take some of the pressure off of Jahan Dotson who, you know, it, it, he's a, I don't, I don't know. We'll see how he does maybe in a starring role this year. You know, he was kind of like the third or second option the last two years. He runs great routes. Maybe he can do a little bit more, but he's going to need some help. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, I do think they're excited about the two guys that you mentioned, the young guys, Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington. I guess the big question to me is it's fine to see those guys run around and do it in practice, which is what the coaches and players who have talked yeah. have made it sound like they're doing. Certainly another thing to do it on game day when things are a little bit more, uh, well, certainly more live and a little bit more uh, pressure packed, so to speak. So I do think we'll see plenty of those guys this year, maybe more so later than early, but we'll see. They could also move past some of those older guys on the depth chart by the time the Indiana game rolls around. What Taylor Stubblefield can do there, though. I'll move us on to the running back set. Don't think we need to spend too much time there, Bob. But I will say this. We know Journey Brown and Noah Kane are kind of the 1A and 1B there. What are your expectations for Devin Ford this season? Could be, in terms of talent, I think he is absolutely as talented as those two guys. He showed it uh, in spurts last year. It was kind of weird last year, Greg. They almost I thought four running backs was at least one too many, and I, th- I just think that it was a tough situation for the coaches to manage when all, you had four guys that really felt they should be playing. I think there's one less. Obviously, it's just three this year. I do think, though, to start the year, it's definitely going to be – I think the game plan is it's going to be built around what Journey, what Journey and, and Noah can do. I think they complement each other pretty well. Journey is, is an all-around back now who's beefed up. He's got speed uh, to take it the distance. Noah Kane is very tough to stop between the tackles, always moving forward. He's a little bit bigger this year as well. I think Devin Ford's going to have to be patient this year. I think they're going to try and get him some reps. I think he's certainly talented enough to play. I think he's talented enough to start on a lot of teams in the Big Ten or at least be a number two. But this was a highly recruited kid. I know they like him, but I just think that you can't argue with what Journey Brown did down the stretch last year. There's some NFL uh, draft experts that are very high on him. I think Noah Kane could help. It's a great problem to have. Chances are not all three of them are going to stay healthy. So if you're going to list Penn State's team strengths, Greg, that's got to be right there at the top. Before I go, before I get your thoughts on Noah Kane, though. I didn't want to overlook the tight end position because I didn't – I think I, I would almost lump that in with the receivers. Uh, they have an All-American candidate in Pat Fryermuth. I don't think there's much to really question about his game. Kudos, kudos to him for coming back 
during this trying season when he easily could have left. He said it wasn't an easy decision. The real question is, if Penn State wants to play two tight ends, Greg, do they have a second tight end they can trust to kind of match what they had last year um, with Pat Fryermuth and Nick Bowers? Nick Bowers might not have been the most gifted receiver, but he really helped in the running game. Does Penn State have a player like that that could help as the second tight end? I mean, it would be easier question to answer if we had seen any of practice between <laughs> now and the Cotton Bowl. I'm going to say yes, though. I think they like how Zach Koontz have balked up. We've heard a lot of good things about Theo Johnson, who is a guy that they were kind of implying that if there was a spring practice, he may not be full go or even available. But they almost implied, too, in my mind, Bob, that if he was full go or if he had time to get healthy, he would be competing for that number two job. So then you don't want to forget about Brenton Strange either. I, I, I hate to be vague like this. I do think they have a guy that they can trust there. I just am not sure which one of those three it is yet without having seen any practice work or anything of that like because of the way they do things now with the pandemic. So uh, I, I do think they'll have a guy that they like there. It's just hard to say who. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's shift back to the running backs. Um, Greg, there was a time last year, and I was, I was leading. I was, I was at, on the bandwagon. I really thought Noah Kane was going to emerge with that job after that game he had at Iowa. I think he got the start at Michigan State, played a little bit, but I think he hurt his ankle. And, you know, the next thing you know, they're, they're, they're going to play Minnesota. Journey Brown starting. And that, that five-game run that he had uh, to close out the season was just spectacular. And, you know, Noah Kane, you know, had he not gotten injured, you just wonder how it would have played out. But it's like I, I said earlier, it's a great problem to have. But what do you think Noah Kane's mindset is as he enters his second year knowing, you know, that Journey Brown really kind of stepped out last year? In his mind – is it a 50-50 split, or would he, do you think it's going to be maybe two-to-one, uh, you know, carrier refs? You, you know, Journey gets two series, Noah gets one to start the year, and, and they let the thing play out from there. I could see it two-to-one to start and then working its way to 50-50 by the midway point of the year. I could see that being the case. I mean, I think both of those guys are so extremely talented that did not yeah. use them both. Um, but, you know, when you get into the 50-50 game, you're talking about maybe getting a little bit out of rhythm and guy doesn't have time to really uh, come in and kind of control the game, take over the game, get a feel for the flow of the game, whatever. So I think two to one makes sense to me to start, but I don't know if it's going to last that way for all eight games. Yeah. We haven't even, we, we, we got to get to maybe the most, most improved unit, I think on the team in the last couple of years, it's the offensive line. Uh, I, I said running backs have to be one of the team strengths. I think offensive line is right there. They have a lot of players that have starting experience, who have played meaningful snaps. I know they're high on a couple of young players, Greg. And you pair that offensive line with those running backs. There's gonna, I, I think if Penn State gets rolling in the running game, I, I, even no matter who they play, Greg, they're going to be a tough team to deal with, especially in the fourth quarter. We talk about closing games out if they have a lead. I think they're ideally suited, Greg. You know, If they have a lead in any game against any team in the fourth quarter, I think they have the offensive line, and I think they have the running backs to play keep away, and I think that's going to be one of the real strengths of this uh, this team in 2020. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that is a group that it would be extremely disappointing if they're not a top three offensive line, top four offensive line group in the Big Ten. I just think between the experience and the new coaching style of Phil Troutwine and the fact that they feel so good about a guy like Caden Wallace that they're working Will Fries at guard some, I just think it tells you a lot about 
they, they feel like they have six or seven guys that can play. And that hasn't always been the case at Penn State, probably even closer to eight that could play on yeah. any down. That hasn't been the case here in a long time. So I think that should be encouraging for Penn State fans. I really, really like what I've heard from Phil Troutwine when we've been able to talk to him. He just seems like he's a, he has a little bit more of a more modernized uh, coaching style, if that seems fair. And that's not a shot at Matt Limegrover, but I do think that he is taking a step forward. Um, and because of that, or he's getting this group to take a step forward, both on and off the field. And because of that, you combine that with the playing experience these guys already have. I just think they're setting up to finally be the dominating mean group that Penn State fans and even James Franklin have wanted for so long. Yeah, and specifically, you mentioned Caden Wallace and some other players. I, I do think when you talk about the Penn State offensive line, for me, it starts with two players. It starts with Michael Mennett, a fifth-year player. He'll be his, his third year at center, a former five-star recruit that kind of had to pay his dues early, didn't get a lot of playing time, uh, worked at guard, but he found a home at center. I think he is a chance to be a special player at that position. And if he stays healthy, I think he'll be rewarded at the next level. And Rasheed Walker entering his second year as a starting offensive tackle, got all the tools to be a very good left tackle. I talked to Jason Awe about him on a uh, Zoom call. Boy, he thinks he's going to be a fantastic talent. Those, those kind of players are rare. He's got great feet, great size. Um, they have a lot of good players on that offensive line, but I think those two uh, to me, stand out a little bit over the group. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Those They should be the driving forces of an offensive line that by the end of the season should have more key contributors and, and significant contributors and guys who merit all Big Ten conversation than what they might have at the start just because some of these guys don't have as much playing experience as they will you know, in about two months' time. Yep. All right. I think we've exhausted all of the offense. I don't think we missed anyone if we did. We'll get, we'll get to them next week. We're going we're gonna to jump over to the defensive side. I don't know. Are we halfway through this thing yet, Greg? Are we halfway through uh, this new Blue-White Breakdown uh, podcast? Do we need to talk to uh, our audience about maybe rating, reviewing, questioning, suggesting, anything they want to do to help us get this podcast moving in the right direction? Is there, is there some things you want to share with our audience? Yeah, so just like always, uh, Penn Live's Penn State Football Podcast, this is now called the Blue White Breakdown. You can find it wherever you get your audio, Spotify, Google. Uh, you know, some of you get it right out of the article at PennLive.com, our Penn State football section, so you can go there. Don't forget whether it's Spotify, Google, Apple, or some other source, like, rate, and subscribe. The sooner you subscribe, the sooner you get each new podcast when they come out. And uh, we might still have some videos going around this season, depending on how things work out at youtube.com slash all Penn State. And don't forget to sign up for the Penn Live Sports Insider as well. So we'll take a break, come back and talk defense right after this. So we're back with the blue-white breakdown. Greg, I'm going to start calling it early. BWB. We could shorten it up, maybe put it in a headline. I don't know if the Penn Live people will be happy about that, but if we want to get it really, really – it could be a new – it could be get it on shirts, BWB. I don't know. Maybe it's, it could be the start of something special. Let's talk defense, Greg. No Micah Parsons. No Etor Gross Matos. No returning starting linebackers, period. Yet I, I just have a sense that this defense – you know, because of the way that James Franklin and his staff have recruited over the recent uh, last couple of classes can still probably be pretty good. And, and that's not an easy thing to say when you have to replace 
uh, an All-American, but they have a, a player or two that have been waiting in the wings that I think once they get going are going to be very, very uh, impactful on the defense. We talked at the start, though, Greg, that maybe if you're a fan, reserve judgment a little bit at the start of the season about what this defense can do. We've seen really good programs known for really good defenses start slow. Uh, I saw the Florida A&M game. I saw Alabama. I saw, you know, I saw some teams really struggle defensively. So it's going to be fascinating to see what James Franklin and Brett Pry kind of do maybe to try and mitigate some of that. But why don't we just start with the linebackers, Greg? We mentioned no more Micah Parsons, the Harrisburg high grad training for the 2021 NFL draft. He's going to be a first round pick. But boy, I think they feel pretty good about that group. Uh, let's start with the veterans, and then we'll get to the player maybe that a lot of people think could be special. Uh, Jesse Lucada, Ellis Brooks, in your mind, they have to be the leaders of this group, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. And I know that Lucada has been getting some work at outside linebackers, so a little bit of a different training plan for him this offseason compared to what they've done with him in the past working inside. So I think that's interesting. And I don't know what it says, if it says something about how they feel with their mm-hmm. – uh, outside depth, but you know, if you would have told, I think a lot of people two or three years ago that by this time, Jesse Lucetta would be an outside linebacker and Charlie Catcher would now be a middle linebacker. I think people would have looked at you like you were a crazy person. Um, but that's where they're at right now. It is rare for a guy like Brent Pry to be so matter of fact about losing an all American in Micah Parsons, but he feels good about how they've recruited this position over the last handful of years. And it's left him in a great place where they can lose an all American guy like Micah Parsons and still feel really good about what they have, even though it's not exactly the most game-tested group. So moving on from Jan Johnson, Cam Brown, of course, Micah won't be easy maybe early on, but they have the talent there to be just fine as the season progresses. Yeah, and I know that the fan base is excited about two second-year linebackers who are very, very highly recruited kids. Brandon Smith, the five-star from Virginia. Lance Dixon, who was like almost, I think some people had him as a five-star, but he was just, it was a high four-star if nothing else. Uh, a speedier linebacker type, I believe, from Michigan. Brandon is they, they, he's going to be a sophomore. Uh, they they did redshirt uh, Lance Dixon, but those two guys, the athleticism, the speed they bring to the position. Yeah, they're not. No one's Micah Parsons, but I do think, especially with Brandon, after maybe about a month's worth of games, I think by midseason, I I think the coaching staff and the fan base is going to be excited in what they see from him. Yeah, I don't think there's any question, Bob. I just look at what he was able to do in limited playing time uh, in 2019, and you could see that the potential was there. You could see that, and this isn't a shot at Micah, but unlike Micah, as a young guy, Brandon Smith certainly had a better feel for what it takes to play linebacker and how you play linebacker compared to Micah, who, of course, was learning that on the fly the second he got to Penn State. So you could tell Smith had a little bit better instincts at that age compared to where Micah was. Of course, he might not be the physical freak, at least not yet that Micah is and has become. But yeah, I think fans have to be excited about what potential he has. And then the same with Lance Dixon, a guy who I don't know how much we'll see of him early on if Luquette has been able to win that job. And, you know, we might only see him in some certain two-down backer packages. But uh, again, they have recruited that spot very well, and they seem to be very happy about what they have there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that Lance is, you know, it was funny. You know, in the spring, they put out his weight, and it was almost 225 pounds, and then they updated the roster. And I think he was 210. I'm sure we're going to get one more roster update at some point, but I just think that maybe, you know, there's some players you don't want to get, you don't want them to get too big. You look at him, he certainly looks like he's big enough, even at 210. 
pounds to make an impact the way that he runs. But you mentioned this. I wonder if he's going to be more of a, a factor when they go to that star position where he's like a, he could be a, he could be a, line, a, a linebacker, defensive back combo. Brandon Smith referenced the fact that he, he has uh, some DB skills in his background. I just wonder if maybe that is maybe going to be his best position. We talked five, about five linebackers. You mentioned Charlie Catcher. I don't know if they have a sixth yet, but they have some linebackers, I think, that can really – they don't want them to stand on the field for 60 snaps. And I think if they need to rotate some players in, I don't know that there's going to be that big of a drop-off. That bodes well. Let's talk about the front four, Greg. No Etor Gross Matos, but even Etor, after he left Penn State, was saying he wasn't really even close to being – the freakiest of the freaks at the defensive end position at Penn State. There's still two or three ready to roll. They have Shaka Tony, who's the leader of the room. But now I think we're going to see a little bit more from Jason Awe and Adisa Isaac, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. So obviously Shaka Tony comes back as the leader of that group, a guy who I think Penn State fans thought maybe could leave for the NFL, opted to come back and really hone his skills for one more year, now under John Scott Jr. So he has to be the leader of that group, I think, statistically. But, yeah, Awe and Adisa Isaac have some freaky twitch, man. And we saw it in spurts a year ago, and now we're going to get a chance to see it on a more consistent basis. I assume Awe will be the starter. Isaac will spell him pretty regularly. I don't know if Scott Jr. is going to rotate quite as much as, as predecessor Sean Spencer did. But either way, they're going to get a lot of snaps for those two guys, and they're going to be expected to go get the ball and go get the, pat, the quarterback. And bring that kind of pass rush that's been expected now from Penn State really over the last handful of years that Sean Spencer has been here. So I guess the one thing about end and defensive tackle is that maybe you're not as in love with the depth and maybe you feel like there could be a little bit more there. I think there, you know, is this the year a guy like Shane Simmons could finally stay healthy and put it all together? You know, that's going to be one thing to watch. A couple other guys in that boat at end as well. And then when you move into defensive tackle, I feel like they should really be happy with their front four or their top four of Shelton and PJ Mustafer. And then you have Fred Hansard and Akeem Beeman behind them with Judge Culpepper in the mix as well. I mean, I think they should feel pretty good about that group on paper, but it's a completely different animal when we see it on the field. And I guess it's, that's one of those position groups where you're just going to have to see how things start out and whether or not, they have translated all that off-field work from the extended off-season into better production as, uh, as now one, guys that are one year older in this program. Yeah, and before we leave the, the defensive line, I think the fans, it's not, when you watch a game, Greg, it's, it, I, right, it's hard to focus on all the players uh, at the same time. And I think especially when you talk about defensive tackles, you know, your eyes don't necessarily stay on them after the ball is snapped. But I think in Antonio Shelton, Penn State has one of, one of the better defensive tackles uh, against the run. And it, it won't, you won't see it on the stat sheet. He occupies space and he occupies multiple blockers. And I know that Penn State's coaching staff and the defensive players are very appreciative of what he does in the middle of the defense when it comes to stopping the run. P.J. Mustaver, I think, is a little bit of a different player. The key to him having a breakout season, which I think he can do, is he's got to be able to consistently get push and be able to collapse the pocket from the inside. I think if they can do that, and I think if maybe off, if the offensive lines that they're facing are worried about the speedy defensive ends, I think there's going to be some opportunities for a guy like P.J. Mustafer maybe to get freed up one-on-one. And he's going to have to win those battles, and he's going to have to be able to put pressure uh, on the quarterbacks and maybe shut down some running games with some tackles for loss. 
I, he's a player that I really like. And I think the defensive line moving as the season goes, um, it will improve. I think there's a lot of talent there. And I am especially interested to watch a full season of Jason Awe, who has, I don't know, Greg, since you've been covering the team, since I've been covering the team, I don't know that they've ever had a player as athletically gifted in terms of what they can do in terms of size, size, speed ratio, running, lifting. He's just off the charts. I sure hope that does translate to the field of play. In limited time last year, I think he had five sacks. He can certainly run. I'm excited to see him. Yeah, I am too. I think he's a guy that's going to wow a lot of people who maybe haven't had a chance to see him as often as we did. Like Even in practice, he was a guy who was just a physical monster. And when he would go up against Penn State starting offensive line when he was still on the scout team, I mean, he would win more of those battles than not. So now he gets to go win them against other Big Ten teams. And I think a lot of people are going to be really happy with the kind of season he has. Okay, the defensive backfield, Greg, a key, I think, to Penn State's season. They certainly had their issues in some big games last year. I think Penn State's got talent for sure. They're going to replace John Reed at corner, slot corner. They're going to have to, excuse me, replace Garrett Taylor at safety. But I think the good news is they've always had players that I felt that they felt good about. I think that were almost as good as those guys. And I think we're going to see more of them. But the key, Greg, is it's not enough to be athletic in the secondary. It's about tracking the ball. It's about no uh, mental uh, busts, coverage busts. Because in the second half of the season, games against Minnesota, even against Indiana, there were times against Ohio State, obviously the Memphis game, they just struggled at times to keep up uh, in those games. And they really hurt the Penn State defense. Um, Let's start with corner, Greg. Uh, I think Penn State is counting on at least three, maybe four second-year players. One of them has a famous father who played football for the Steelers. When you just talk about the four second-year players, Daquan Hardy, Joey Porter Jr., Marquise Wilson, and Keaton Ellis, what is there one or two of them that excite you the most? Yeah, I mean, I think the fun thing about watching those guys last year, Bob, was when they uh, had a chance to make a play on the ball, they almost always tried to. And I think that for all of the good things Penn State's had in the defensive backfield over the last handful of years, the one thing they never really truly had uh, for the, in a lot of ways was the guy or guys who would just go get the football. And it wouldn't be just enough to knock it down. It wouldn't just be enough to get in the way, but go actually try and intercept the football. I think the, that's one of the bigger things they've been missing as a unit, really, uh, in the James Franklin era, even going back to when Bob Shoup was here. So when you look at all four of them, they all have that tendency to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to go get the ball. I really think Keaton Ellis is a guy who makes an enormous step forward this year. He was really good as a freshman last year, very underrated as a recruit, probably mostly because he was committed to Penn State for so long. So I think that uh, is something to watch. I think he becomes a national level player this year. And the same goes for Marquise Wilson. I mean, he's just very long and very able to cover any kind of receiver he might face in the Big Ten. And then with Joey Porter Jr., I mean, we got a flash of what he was capable of at Maryland and a couple other times, too. So I just think that those guys, and then you throw in Daquan Hardy, who always gets shout-outs, too, from the coaching staff, and they should just feel really good about what they have opposite Terry Castro-Fields, who, again, like Shaka Tony, didn't have to come back but wanted to to try and improve his draft stock, and we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and, and I, in case the Penn State fans missed the reference, Joey Porter Jr., the son of Joey Porter, the Steelers linebacker, great linebacker, 
from the 90s, outside linebacker, played on the Super Bowl championship team, coached by Bill Cower. Joey is a, a unique-looking corner because he's got such uh, – he's so long and he can run. And uh, all of his teammates say that, man, once he figures it all out – and Joey said the same thing. He feels like he's close. In terms of physical talent, there's not – there's going to be some – there's going to be some receivers that struggle uh, to get away from him when he plays press man because he's an athlete with really long arms. I'm excited to see him. You mentioned, I think, Tariq Castro-Fields. I'll just say this. I don't think that Terry Smith, the corners coach, is a guy that will BS you. I think when he said, he'll, he'll tell you maybe what a player's strengths and weaknesses are. And he, I had a chance to talk to him a couple times in the offseason. And he said, you, you have to understand that Tariq Castro-Fields was not a healthy player during the second half of the season. And it definitely affected his play. I think some fans probably were a little rankled. He gave up some big plays. I think there were some missed tackles. But I, I don't think he was healthy, Greg. And Terry said, man, was he – the first half of that season, if you really look at how he played, he was one of the best corners in the Big Ten. He thinks Tariq Castro-Fields, if he's healthy, healthy, will not only be one of the best corners in the Big Ten, he'll be one of the best corners in the country. He was a highly, highly recruited kid. Penn State, I think, got him away from maybe Alabama. Uh, he came back. I, I do think if he's healthy, you're going to see a, a much improved uh, Penn State secondary. They're going to need to be much improved because I think, you know, they're just going to have to be better at making plays on the ball. Let's turn to safeties real quick, Greg. I mentioned Garrett Taylor is gone. Lamont Wade, one of the team leaders, is back. He's a little bit lighter. But I think there's a little bit of buzz about the JUCO they added, I think, from Lackawanna. Now in his second year, Jaquan Brisker, a bigger safety who is one of those guys in the workout room that tests off the charts. And I think that people are expecting some pretty big things within the program from Jaquan Brisker. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, Bob. He's a guy who was close last year, but maybe didn't quite transition. And I think he and uh, Tim Banks and Terry Smith have kind of talked about this. And it took some time for him to transition to what Big Ten football was compared to what he was playing at, at the JUCO level. And you could tell the light started to click a little bit later as the season went on. And you feel like if he had maybe four more games to play, he'd be a totally different player. So I think we see that totally different player now in 2020 as a starter opposite Lamont Wade. And they have some other guys they like back there, Tyler Rudolph and some others. But I do think that Wade and Brisker are your two guys who can really be a, a starting standout duo for this Brent Pry defense. And I think Brisker was getting close last year, kind of like in the same vein that you mentioned with Joey Porter, maybe just a little bit away last season. And now with the extended off season and all that, I think is really probably in a good boat uh, moving forward. Uh, as Penn State tries to shore up a pass defense that was more often than not bend but don't break and broke a few too many times in 2019. Yeah, and let's just throw one more name into the safety mix. I think he's an interesting player, but I'm not sure what we should expect from him. They moved a corner, Trent Gordon, who was pretty decent, I thought, to safety, <clears throat> maybe to shore up the depth. We'll be see. I'll see. Let's see if they, they can carve out a role for Trent Gordon. I think he's an interesting player. But I think we've covered the offense, Greg. Here on the blue-white breakdown, BWB, uh, we've covered the defense. There's only one thing left to do, and that's just take a quick look at Penn State special teams. They have one of the more fascinating kicking specialists in the country. What do you expect from Jordan Stout? Well, I think he's a guy who's going to be asked to do more than he has before in the sense that they're going to want him to punt, do the long field goals, and probably kick off too. So we've heard James Franklin express a lot of disinterest in having one guy do all of those jobs. but. I kind of just think it's where we're at at this point. I mean, they have signed some walk-on kids and some others who 
might be able to get into the mix with one of those jobs. But I think with a guy as talented as Jordan Stout, Bob, you got to let him do as many things as you think he can to help you win football games. And if that's three or four jobs and you still go to Jake Pinniger for the short field goals, and then I think that's perfectly fine. And I think in 2020 with all the sports science and the medicine and all that, that they should be able to find a way to keep his legs fresh for this eight plus one game season, doing all those things with no real issues. Yeah. And you, you just hit on something, Greg, it's a shorter season. So less, <clears throat> less games to worry about. And Jake Pinniger's progress as their field goal specialist primary, I think he only missed one kick last year. Maybe, maybe they just lean on him. And really when you talk about a long field goal specialist, you're only going to probably ask maybe Jordan Stout to maybe make two or three kicks maybe uh, during the course of the season. I, I think he only attempted three or four last year. So I don't, maybe it, it's really uh, not that big of a deal. He's going to be the punter, it looks like, and the kickoff specialist. Shorter season. I'm sure he'll be fine, and I'm sure James Franklin, Franklin will probably address that. Uh, we mentioned Pinniger a little bit. I, I, he was – you know, he was a little bit shaky two years ago, but to his credit, um, he was much improved last year. Is there anything, anything to maybe you want to talk about real quick about maybe their coverage units, their coverage players, or uh, their return specialists? It's not always that easy to return kicks anymore with directional punting and kicks going out of the end zone. So it's rare, I think, when guys get opportunities. Is there, do they have a player, though? that maybe is capable of taking a kick the distance. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to give Journey Brown some run back there. And so when you go back to our offense conversation, maybe they take a few snaps away from him and give him a Noah Kane or Devin Ford, depending on game flow, to give, give Journey some time to get ready for those kicker punt returns. So I think we'll see him back there. I'm sure Noah Kane will get some run. Jahan Dotson is a guy that they'll look at. I think we'll see a pretty healthy, maybe, rotation of guys early on if they can afford it. Uh, unless they have found a guy that they've really fallen in love with, again, without getting to be at the Lash Building or Haluba Hall for some of these camp practices and things like that, you struggle to get a real feel for it. But those are some of the guys that jump out to me initially. And I also wonder if Keaton Ellis or one of those other corners might not be able to get involved in that conversation too. Yeah, and one player that I think that'll show up either on, on coverage or maybe as a returner because he was so good in high school was Daquan Artie. Correct. Phenomenal talent, and I think that maybe you want to give him a couple opportunities, whether it's in coverage with that speed or with the ball in his hands, just to give him a chance, because I think maybe we're probably sleeping on him just a little bit. I know Terry Smith likes him. We've covered the key positions. We've covered offense, defense, and special teams. Greg, as we wind up this first Blue-White Breakdown podcast, I just have one question for you. Will Penn State go 8-0 in the regular season? Will they go 8-0 this season? And if not, what's their record going to be? Yeah, I have them at 7-1, Bob, with the loss being to Ohio State. And I think they're fine at Indiana. I know it's a tricky opener. I don't think it's an upset alert. I think this is the year James Franklin and Penn State finally get over the hump and win at Michigan. You know, they'll have to go to Nebraska, and people's opinion vary on where that Scott Frost program is. But to me, no one – I don't see too many landmines on this schedule, but – I'm going to have to see them give Ohio State, and I know it's at Beaver Stadium, but it's not a whiteout. It'll be a much different experience than normal, so you lose that. And I think the Buckeyes are obviously the cream of the crop in the country at this point, and certainly in the Big Ten. And so you're going to have to make me see it to believe it when it comes to beating Ohio State, even though it's at home. So I got them at 7-1 and one with probably that number two, uh, assuming Ohio State runs the table, that number two Big Ten East spot. They'll get to play a team from the West. And so 
that would be interesting to see in mid-December. But I've been wrong before. Where do you have <laughs> I think the schedule is you can make a strong case for Penn State to win five games very easily. The three games I think that we both would, would probably say are a little bit tough to predict are starting. I would say the Indiana game. I, I would not be surprised, Greg, if that's a one-possession game at the end. Indiana, for whatever reason, even though they've only ever beaten Penn State once in like 23 games, has always played this team tough, usually home or away. But the last couple of years, they've made life very tough out in Bloomington on Penn State. And you mentioned the Michigan game. They just have not played very well at Michigan uh, during James Franklin's time. I'm going to say 7-1, and one, too. I'm just not sure which game they're going to lose. I could see them <laughs> – I could see them – of those three games, I, I could see them losing to any of those teams, but I could also see Penn State actually beating all three of those teams. The most likely game that they will lose, obviously, is Ohio State. That's a very talented team. But we've seen good teams struggle out of the gate at the start of college football season, and maybe catching Ohio State early isn't such a bad thing for Penn State. May, they might have some things to figure out as well. I'm going to say 7-1. and one. I'm just not sure what the loss is. I do think the Indiana game could be really, really close. If they're 7-1, and though, Greg, and they get to play a meaningful game during Big Ten Champions Weekend in December, say it's against either Wisconsin or Minnesota, and they win that game, uh, I think, considering the way that some teams have played early, like LSU and Texas and Oklahoma, I think that maybe there's, there could be room for a second team in the Big Ten to make the playoff. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just think, you know, Penn State has the talent or the second team in the Big Ten has the talent maybe to be in the, 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 the conversation this year. And I would pay close attention to that. But I really think Penn State better come to play against those Indiana Hoosiers because I do think that's going to be a pretty tricky game and I do not think it will be an easy game. All right, Bob. Well, we're inching closer to kickoff. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this inaugural edition of Blue White Breakdown? Uh, just, just I would say next week we're going to touch on this just a little bit. But we, we really had our hands full. We wanted to introduce the new podcast, and we wanted to talk about what we had learned about Penn State during the offseason in all phases. But we're going to talk a lot about the Indiana game. I'm excited to partner up with Dave Jones on some podcasts. I think he's a pretty fascinating guy because you never know kind of what's on his mind. And I mean that in a good way. We, one thing we didn't really get to, and we'll get to it next week, because I know Penn State fans have probably heard about it, Indiana's quarterback, Michael Penix, is awfully confident in Indiana's chances against Penn State. He, had, he wasn't derogatory in any way, but he feels very good about this Hoosiers team, and he feels very good about the Hoosiers' chances against Penn State in that defense. Maybe it's because of what happened in last year's game, but I'm sure, Greg, you and I will be discussing his comments very, very soon. He's a talented player if he stays healthy. I think this Indiana game is going to be pretty pretty uh, close, and I think Penn State might have to work for it. All right. Well, that will do it for this week, Bob. Don't forget to subscribe to the Blue White Breakdown now on Apple, Google, Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We will see you next time. 